0: Today, my guest, Nicole Jardim, aka The Period Girl, is teaching us on how to fix our period problems naturally. Nicole Jardim is a certified women's health coach, writer, speaker, mentor, and the creator of Fix Your Period, a series of programs that empower women to reclaim their hormone health using a method that combines evidence-based information with simplicity and sass, which I love. Her work has impacted tens of thousands of women all across the world, in effectively addressing a wide variety of period problems, including PMS, irregular periods, PCOS, painful and heavy periods, missing periods, and so much more. Rather than treating problems or symptoms, Nicole treats women by addressing the root cause of what she believes is really going on in their bodies and minds. She passionately believes that the fundamentals of healing any hormone imbalance lie in an approach that addresses the unique physiology of every woman. This is essential to reclaiming and maintaining optimal health and vitality at every age. In this episode, we discuss how Nicole ended up being known as the period girl, signs of a healthy period and the importance of ovulation for women, what exactly hormonal birth control is doing inside of our body, how different body systems like guts and the liver, adrenals are involved in our period problems, like it's not just an ovary problem, and external factors that could be influencing your cycle including lack of sunlight nutrition problems stress caffeine and alcohol i love this and i love nicole's approach she really is so empowering and fun to interview so i'm glad that we got to connect and i'm really excited to share this episode with you right now her book is going to be out this week so be sure to head over to her website and social media pages for the latest updates. And she talks about in the episode how there's lots of freebies and things that you're gonna get if you pick up a copy of the book. And she kindly sent me a copy before it was released. And I've been absolutely loving it. There's so much information in there and it's one of the classics. that's gonna be um, something that I recommend to all women and it should be mandatory reading in my opinion. So let's get into the interview right now with Nicole Jardim, the period girl. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast.
1: Hi, Vivian. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Me
0: too. I'm so excited. And before we get into all about periods and um, a bit about your book as well, which has been released this week, let's talk about your story. So how did you end up as the period girl, which I absolutely love, by the way?
1: (laughs) Thanks, it was definitely by default. It wasn't something that happened um, or that was planned i you know I, I should probably talk about the issues that I had when I was a teenager because that was really what catapulted me into this work, unbeknownst to me at the time. I had really, really bad periods they were super heavy, very painful, and they caused me to miss school a lot of the time. I was constantly leaking through bed sheets or through pajamas onto bed sheets it was It was just the kind of period that every teenager basically dreads and wants it to stop and never come back. And for years, I kind of endured this. And my mom said, oh, you know, it's totally normal to feel this way. I had these issues too, and I don't know what we can possibly do. And, and that was just how it was. And then a couple of years into all of that, I started to notice that my period would come every three or four months. And I really wasn't tracking anything i I didn't really know I just knew that it had been a while <laughs> and so, as a result, I finally went and saw my mom's gynecologist and she said to me that. I um, should go on the birth control pill. And so that's what I did. And it was an immense relief for me because suddenly my period came every single month on time and it started to lighten up and the pain completely disappeared and my skin was nice and clear. And you know all of the things that, it's basically like a teenager's dream, right? So for me, I figured, okay, I found the magic bullet. This is it, I'm good to go. And then what started to happen were all of these other symptoms that I had never experienced before that cropped up over the time that I was on the pill, which was about five years or so. And they were all these seemingly unrelated symptoms. And I went to multiple doctors For them, I had, you know, I had melasma all over my face and everyone was like, Well, you know, that usually happens to women who are pregnant and this is really weird that it's happening to you. You're only 21, stuff like that. You know, and when you hear those kinds of things, you kind of just think, Oh great, I'm I don't know, I don't know what to do. And then I had horrible gut health issues. I went and saw uh, multiple GI doctors. I had a colonoscopy. I did testing. Everyone said that it was I was fine. I had chronic UTIs and yeast infections. My hair was falling out. I had horrible joint pain. I saw a rheumatologist. He thought maybe I had rheumatoid arthritis, but the, the tests were inconclusive. So I had a multitude of problems in my early twenties, and I just thought, wow, this is just crazy because i 'm so young i shouldn 't have all these issues, and my final straw was getting a urinary tract infection, going to the doctor, getting yet another medication and taking it, and um, being allergic to it and so I started to get a fever. I looked in the mirror, I was bright red, I went to the emergency room, they kept me there for a little while uh, to monitor me and whatnot, and I finally was able to go home and that was it that was the last straw i 'd had an allergic reaction to this medication and I just felt like there was no way I could go on like this. And so I, I, a friend of mine in college said to me, oh, you should really go see my acupuncturist. And that was the turning point for me. And I went and saw that this acupuncturist. And within moments, he explained to me what could be going on. And he talked about the pill as being... a a possible reason why I was experiencing all of these problems. And at first I just thought, that's so crazy because nobody has said that to me in all of my many doctor visits over the years. This guy can't be for real. And lo and behold, that's exactly what was going on. And so I started doing acupuncture. I started to change my diet according to what he was suggesting. I did all kinds of things. I obviously got off the pill and my life completely turned around. And so that was really what. Precipitated all of this, and it took many, many years after all of that to get to the point where I did training and and started a business and became an actual health coach and whatnot. but yeah, and then you know over years, people would say things like, "Oh yeah, that period girl or that 's the girl I was telling you about she 's the one who talks about periods, and really it was just a name that was sort of bestowed on me <laughs> so here bit. I am.
0: Yes. <laughs> And that story sounds very familiar to me and probably a lot of women listening right now. The immediate relief of symptoms for a lot of women, mm-hmm. the um, perfect skin, everything that you've been dreaming of, like periods are fine. Some people don't have periods at all, which to a teenage girl is who previously struggled is like the best thing ever. But then over the, the years, things start to creep in. And for me, it was um, digestive issues similar like IBS, food sensitivities, histamine, crazy reactions. I couldn't tolerate a lot of healthy foods um, poor immunity. And then the thing that started to really um, be a problem was very painful leg cramps, which looking back, I'm really thinking that they could have been some sort of blood clot, which is really scary to think. But I would literally wake up in the middle of the night for a good few months every night in tears because my legs were so painful. But um, I went to the doctors. I didn't even think twice about the pill that I was on because to them, it's like the women's cure-all. There's no Mm -hmm. other alternatives is there? So with birth control, like what actually is it doing in our body? Because a lot of people don't actually know the physiology of what's going on when you're taking these um, synthetic hormones.
1: Yeah. I I completely agree with all that you just said there. It's so scary. And you really don't know because we're not really taught what to expect from our bodies or what they do. And as a result, when you're in the dark like that, you are definitely dependent on your doctor for answers. And in many cases, we just don't get answers. And similarly to you, as you know, I didn't get any answers for years. And that was one of my biggest pet peeves is that I kept going to these doctors and it was a lot of, well, let's wait and see what happens here, or let's try this medication, or maybe, you know, just, yeah, maybe it's all in your head (laughs) kind of thing. And as a result, I went on, I made it my mission to get answers and understand how this all works. And that was one of the biggest shocks to me is I didn't understand how the birth control pill worked. And I think that it's treated as if it's such a benign medication, when in fact, it really is not. It has multiple side effects. And for me, when I realized that the pill isn't regulating our periods, it isn't curing acne, it isn't making heavier periods lighter. I mean, it is, but it's not doing it in the way we think it is. It's basically being touted as as a solution to basically every women's health concern but it isn't and the reason it does that is because it turns off ovulation it's essentially stopping ovulation from happening which is such a critical component or a critical element of a woman's overall health and when we realize what it's actually doing i think it's quite a shock to our systems so when when you go on a pill what is happening is that little pill whatever synthetic hormones are in that pill are replacing the hormones that your body would make on a regular basis if you were consistently ovulating and so what happens is those hormones that you're taking every single day are essentially telling your brain that your body has enough estrogen so it doesn't need to send fsh and then lh to your ovary to get your ovary to do what it's supposed to do, which is get a follicle ready that would then release an egg, which is ovulation. And so when your body is getting the signal that there are, are sex hormones at adequate levels, uh, it, never, it just shuts down the conversation between your brain and your ovaries. And as a result, you don't ovulate. And then you don't make all of those amazing hormones that you should be making every month. And I think one of the biggest issues is that we have been told that our menstrual cycles, our reproductive function is only for reproduction and fertility, and as a result, we are grossly misinformed about how our bodies um, or how those hormones impact our health in other ways and so those that those hormones estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone in particular don't just play a role in your fertility. They play a role in your bone health, your brain health, meaning your mood, how you feel, your outlook on life. They play a role in your energy as well as your muscle mass. Um, there's There are just so many reasons why you need those hormones. And the synthetic versions, the estrogen and the progesterone that you might get in a pill are, are a far cry from what you get when you actually ovulate consistently and produce those hormones. So we definitely need some reeducation around what the pill does and the hormones that it impacts.
0: These are the people who as well, who a year into the pill, two years, five years develop chronic anxiety or mood issues. And they just mm-hmm. do not connect the pill at all because they think if it was the pill, it would have happened right away. The doctor would have related the two, but that's why they can go on for a while and have no idea it's that little pill that they're taking every day and that's the weird thing as well doctors say oh nothing that you eat really affects your hormones you can eat whatever your diet isn't linked to your skin so how does something that you have a tiny little pill once a day affect your skin if the three plus meals that you're eating every day doesn't
1: Really, it doesn't never made blow sense blow to blow your mind. Yeah. I know that completely blows my <laughs> mind as well. I'm fascinated by this, especially right now with this pandemic that's happening and the fact that you know they keep say, trying to debunk what different vitamins or minerals that could potentially help us, and I just I'm just floored by that because. Your immune system gets its strength from somewhere. It doesn't get it from medications. <laughs> it gets exactly. it from the food that we're eating. I and know, when, or doesn't.
0: Yeah, when we know all of this stuff, so we've learned and we've researched and we've figured it out for ourselves, it's impossible for us to stay quiet. So that's why we both do what we do. We're trying to spread the word. But what would you say to those women who are like, you're anti-feminist because of all of the things that you're saying about hormonal birth control? So I know that you've had a few haters on social media (laughs) in the past.
1: You know, that's one thing I have not been called, actually. Uh, But I'm sure it'll come at some point. I think that, first of all, I will say that I am the most hardcore feminist there is. I feel like I... Have I have fought for a woman's right or anyone who has a menstrual cycle really to get this information for 10 years now. And for me personally, we need to, we need to stop equating the access to the birth control pill or the pill in general with, uh, you know, with feminism and i know that's probably controversial but the reason i say that is because yes it is it completely blew the doors off of our lives in the 60s when it came to market and i have no doubt about that it has done remarkable things for females but we are now at the point where it is hurting so many people and we do not have the right information to make an educated decision about hormonal birth control. Meaning that we are given half the information. We're not told about the possible side effects and we're not told of ways to mitigate those side effects. And as a result, we find ourselves in the situation that you were in or that I was in or that multitudes of women who we've worked with have are, have been in or currently are in. And then not to mention the fact that when you come off the pill, there are so many other issues that you might experience as a as a result of a sort of a withdrawal from being on that medication for any extended period of time so there's we're just completely in the dark and so i think that there is a way to meld the two and that is that if you are opting for this form of birth control, that you are getting all the information and meaning it's fully informed consent that you have with regard to the medication that you're being given. And then that way you can make an educated decision about whether this is right or wrong for you. I mean, that, you know, that should just be a universal rule, like feminism aside, like this is something that we all should have so I don't know. That's my thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I completely I, I agree with that. <laughs> and people always think like I'm anti-pill because I do talk about the negative effects and I've had other people like yourself on to discuss these things. But I'm not. I'm just I'm pro-consent and pro-education and maybe taking some nutrients alongside of the pill and being aware of these red flag symptoms that may pop up that could be linked to the pill.
1: Yeah, so I'm glad
0: that we we touched on that point
1: yes, absolutely. What exactly
0: is a healthy period then? So should it be completely symptom-free and an amazing time of the month? Or (laughs) can we expect some symptoms because we hear like period pain isn't isn't normal. It may be common, but it's not normal. So Mm -hmm. should we just have zero symptoms at all?
1: Well, I don't think that we should have zero symptoms necessarily, but I do think that when we, are, when we find ourselves in a situation where every month or whenever our period comes, we are completely dreading it because we're going to have terrible symptoms, I think that we need to rethink why that's happening. And I always say that if you have symptoms that are disrupting your life, they're disrupting daily activities or they're disrupting anything that you are trying to do, on, you know, on a regular basis, then that is something to look at. Like You really have to start to look deeper. And so when it comes to a regular period, I think first and foremost, we should say that a period, just so everyone knows, is the time in your cycle where you're bleeding, whereas your menstrual cycle is the entire uh, time of your, you know including all the phases of your cycle. So the bleeding phase, the follicular, ovulation, and then that luteal phase. So it's it's good to differentiate because I feel as though sometimes we get a little obvi- we get a little confused by that.
0: Yeah. And, and so- sometimes ask my clients like, How long's your menstrual cycle? They're like, oh, four days. I'm like
1: Exactly. Hmm. <laughs> Doesn't make <laughs> yes, sense. <laughs> exactly. I know. And again, that comes back to the unbelievable lack of education that we all have around how our bodies actually work. And I think that it's important for us to remember too that A real period is preceded by ovulation. So, ovulation happened, and then somewhere between 10 and 14 ish days, that's usually how it is, uh, we will get a period after that. And when you ovulate, it means that an egg has been released from your ovary, and now it's that, and that ovary is producing progesterone, and eventually the follicle where that egg came from what will happen is that will disintegrate and the progesterone will dry up and you will get your period, which is why that's considered a real period versus where where you're, if you're in a situation where you're not ovulating or you're not, or you're on some form of hormonal birth control that prevents ovulation, you're just having a, a withdrawal bleed, so to speak. So I think that it's important for all of us to know that. And then I would say that when it comes to the length of your menstrual cycle, that's another thing that is relatively confusing for a lot of people because I hear this a lot I know, I don't know if you do, but I get a lot of things along the lines of yeah, you know my period came at forty five days uh, this month, and then last month it was twenty six days and there's just a lot of fluctuation, which I you know I think that we need to look at that if it's just if it feels all over the place because Really, what that means is you have ovulated, but you have ovulated in a in a way that is well it 's basically all over the place, so your ovulation is just all over the place and it 's not consistent so I really like to see you know ovulation um, somewhere between days twelve and twenty one in my client cycles, and then, of course, you would get a period somewhere usually between ten and fourteen days, like I was saying after that. So really in an ideal world, I love to see a cycle between 25 and 35 days. And that way, you know, you know that you're ovulating consistently, you're making enough of the hormones to actually ovulate and then get a period. So these are, these are parameters that we should all be paying attention to. And I also think too, that if you have a cycle between 25 and 35 days, I like to see a cycle that's not. Not too fluctuating in between that time frame as well, and then if you're over 35 days, usually to me that indicates that ovulation is just happening really late in your cycle, and you want to investigate why that would be. And then of course under you know 24 days and under, same thing. If you know what I find is that if we have a cycle that's 24 days or less, we tend to have heavier periods, uh, we tend to have more period pain, um, they tend to be longer. We have uh, we also have shorter luteal phases. And this, again, is just my observation over many years. But those are all important points to pay attention to as well. And with regard to how long a period should be and, and what we should experience with a period, I really like to see a period anywhere between three and seven days. That's, that's pretty much the norm. If it's less than three days, that to me indicates that either you're having an ovulatory cycles, meaning you're not ovulating, or your estrogen levels are not where they're meant to be. They're just not building up your uterine lining enough for you to actually have a substantial bleed. So that's that's certainly something to look into. And then on the flip side, of course, if you have periods that are longer than seven days, so eight days or more, that's, that's often indicative of an estrogen dominance over progesterone situation, meaning you're, you're making you have more estrogen in relation to your progesterone. And so it's building your uterine lining up too much. And also uh, it could be an indicator of a low, th- of low thyroid function. And maybe a few other things. It could also mean that you're not ovulating. And if you're not ovulating, you couldn't be an estrogen dominant state as well. And uh, progesterone would be low. Um, and this can also cause heavy periods. It really just depends ultimately, on our genetics. Like, what are we predisposed to? Because some of us might just not have a period, whereas others might bleed constantly. And it's up to us to kind of figure out what is going on there.
0: I definitely want to touch on all of those things. So how the thyroid plays into this and things that could be preventing ovulation from happening. But before we do, what are some of the biggest myths that you see or hear around our periods or menstrual cycles?
1: Oh boy. Oh, so many. <laughs> I think the first is that we don't need to ovulate for health, which is so shocking to me. I actually, I, again, to touch on what you were talking about earlier with dealing with things online, I had a doctor a couple of months ago tell me that I, it was outrageous for me to suggest that if you don't ovulate, that's a problem because ovulation is definitely optional and i'm like well it can be optional but there are huge consequences that come with that so just saying there you know there are a lot of issues there so it's really interesting to me because this whole ovulation thing right so say it's optional and we don't need to have it and i think that that's one of the biggest things but if you're not ovulating it can be a sign of so many issues and that's what we fail to realize is that that to me is ovulation is a sign of your of the state of your health and if you're not ovulating or you're ovulating sporadically it could be polycystic ovary syndrome it could be primary ovarian insufficiency which is also known as premature ovarian failure it could be linked to your thyroid uh, there could be excessive stress that you're experiencing and excessive stress comes in multiple different packages. It could be just in the form of under eating or not getting enough calories, nutritional deficiencies, over-exercising, and then of course the mental and emotional stress as well. I mean, there are multiple reasons why uh, ovulation might not occur. And I think that big myth of ovulation, is it's fine to not ovulate, needs to definitely be busted. I would say the other thing is period pain. Period pain is definitely not okay. We are not okay when other parts of our body are hurting. We go to the doctor if we have a toothache. We go to the doctor if we have an eye infection and our eyeball is hurting us. I mean, we'll go to the doctor for back pain and knee pain and joint pain. So when something is hurting in our bodies, we'll definitely go and they will make a reasonable effort to figure out what the problem is and give you a solution for the most part. But when it comes to the pain that's associated with our menstrual cycles, it's often dismissed. It's often deemed as being something that's completely normal. And I cannot understand how we have made that jump from back pain not being okay and being indicative of something else to uterine pain being totally fine and, and not a problem for the most part, when in fact it is indicative of so many underlying issues potentially. I mean, it could be a sign of of ongoing underlying inflammation, which you know, of course, we know is linked to nutrient deficiencies, poor diet, uh, ongoing stress that's not being managed, uh, gut health related issues, poor detoxification. Uh, so, there are multiple reasons why we might have period related pain. Our, our uterus might be uh, in you know, out of alignment. I mean, there's like multiple things, and as a result, we're just we're usually just sort of given medication or told that it's not as big of a deal as we're making it and so this is just medical gaslighting at its finest and i think that that's why it, we are we are definitely at the point where we need to not only be demanding answers but taking matters into our own hands and trying to find solutions outside of just the birth control pill and medication for these issues because that's never going to treat the root cause of the problem
0: women really are conditioned to believe that periods should be painful they just like those two things just go hand in hand for so many people because maybe their mom or their sisters or their aunts had very painful periods they were so used to having time off school and having to stock up on painkillers every month
1: mm-hmm. and it's
0: absolutely not normal and it's that's why it's been given the term like the monthly curse and all of these horrible things that i hear about. It, like they dread that week, out of every month and it just yes. doesn't have to be that way.
1: Oh, I could not agree with you more. I think that's the thing, right? Is that we have definitely been conditioned to believe that this that suffering related to your menstrual cycle is completely normal. And it's just something that we have to deal with as part of being a woman or anyone who has a uterus. It's just what we have to deal with. And I really want to change that paradigm. I think that it's time that we look out we start to stop looking outside of ourselves for solutions and turn inwards and know that our bodies are not meant to be like this they're not meant to re- be requiring huge amounts of medication every single month just so that we can get out the door to go to school or go to work there really are other ways and so it's it's a matter of of really looking into this information and and making a decision that you're no longer going to participate in this old paradigm and this old, old way of thinking.
0: So if there's someone listening now who struggles every month with the pains, maybe leading up to the period or when she starts her bleed, intense pains and cramps, how would you approach this if she was your client?
1: Well, I think it would depend on what it is that that person is experiencing. Exactly. Because if she, she, if she has this, you know, this, debilitating period pain, I would want to know what is causing it because that's really how you start to treat things. And so if you're, if you have period pain, that's completely disrupting your life every month, then we need to figure out what is causing that. And like I was saying, there are multiple reasons. So there are two types of dysmenorrhea or period pain. So there's primary dysmenorrhea and then there's secondary dysmenorrhea. And so primary dysmenorrhea is basically uh, cramping or pain that 's related just to your period right it 's just your uterus doing its thing every single month, and when you 're experiencing this pain, what it means is that your uterine muscles are just are pushing menstrual blood out, and it 's often considered just part of having your period, and it means that you don 't have anything else, so you really have to rule things out and in many cases. The, the secondary dysmenorrhea is linked to endometriosis, uh, ovarian cysts, uterine fibroids, conditions like that, adenomyosis, and it usually starts when we're younger and um, and goes through our teenage years. So this is and sorry, this is uh, primary uh, dysmenorrhea. Usually, it starts when it, we're younger and just keeps going. Um, but what I found now is that I'm seeing the same with secondary dysmenorrhea as well. Endometriosis in particular is, you know, it starts pretty young. And so we're we're seeing an increase in that. So the point is is that we have to figure out what's causing it. So is it an actual condition like endometriosis, or is it that you have some other things going on, like maybe your diet has not been great. Your gut health is is suffering. Your liver is unable to detox hormones and other environmental toxins effectively. So as so, it's triggering more of an inflammatory response in your body. And maybe there you know there's issues with um, omega six versus omega three ratios as well. So meaning that your omega sixes are higher in your body than your omega-3 levels. And those omega-6 fatty acids tend to be more inflammatory, not all of them, but some of them, whereas omega-3s are anti-inflammatory. So if we are eating a diet that's full of sugar and refined carbohydrates and things that are cooked in canola oil and other omega-6 rich fatty acids, and we're not eating a lot of uh, vegetables, fruit, um healthy protein and you know carbohydrates in the in, that are not refined, so things like sweet potatoes and whatnot, then what we'll find is our bodies just become more and more inflamed. And so we'll find that period pain just becomes worse and worse. I find that women come to me a lot in their early 30s saying that things have just gotten progressively worse over the last couple of years, whereas in their 20s they felt relatively okay. And so we have to figure that out. And honestly, this requires going to a doctor, maybe working with a specialist, especially if your pain and the symptoms are, are tracking with something like endometriosis or adenomyosis. And so it does require working with someone who can help figure out whether that is the case or not. But there's so much that can be done, whether you have just general inflammation in your body or if you have a condition like endometriosis or adenomyosis or fibroids even and so this it it all really is the same right we're working on the you know the protocol that i've outlined in my fix your period program and in the book as well and that is figuring out what food works for you so starting with the basics and then walking through blood sugar stabilization so i actually have people do a little biohacking and test their own blood sugar, because I think it's so important for us to be doing these kinds of things. So we know exactly what's going on with our bodies. And then from there, we're focusing on gut health and You know, one of the easiest, it's not easy, but one of the best ways to figure out whether foods are impacting you or not is to do an elimination diet. And usually it's easier to do that under the guidance of someone, but you can certainly do it on your own. And I outlined ways to do that in the book and I have in my program as well, because man, it is so necessary for us to try and figure out on our own what we can do, especially if we don't have access to expensive functional medicine doctors or uh, other specialists who um, you know can help us but their you know their rates are are possibly um, not accessible to a large part of the population and so from there you're going to want to think about what's happening with your liver. So your detoxification, because your liver basically processes hormones, it processes toxins, and then gets ready to be removed from the body. But if your liver doesn't have the right amount of nutrients or it doesn't have the right nutrients, it can't do its job properly. And so then you start to run into issues where your liver is just sort of overflowing, so to speak, and it's it's releasing things back into your body that your body is like, okay, I don't know what to do with this. And that further exacerbates the problem. And then from there, we're looking at stress and thyroid. And all of these play an integral role in, in whatever period issue you have. So if someone came to me with major period pain or they came to me with PMS symptoms or migraines or bloating or sore boobs, I would want to implement so much of this protocol for each one of those people because ultimately what 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 happens is all of these systems work together and if they're not working together or there's a you know breakdown in one system it's certainly going to impact all the others and cause symptoms the symptoms just might look a little bit different depending on your genetic predispositions one of us might lose our periods another of us might have heavy super painful periods
0: it's not like conventional medicine where everything's very separate you go to the (laughs) endocrinologist for your hormones the neurologist for your brain we know holistically that everything's interconnected and most people intuitively know that but again we've been taught that you know everything's very separate and things don't communicate when that's not true at all and i'm interested in your approaches to supporting liver detoxification do we need to go on like a crazy intense juice cleanse and take all of these herbs or are there some simple like nutrients that help to support phase one and phase two?
1: Yeah. I, you know, it's so interesting because I feel as though we, first of all, you know, the liver is one of these grossly overlooked (laughs) organs in our bodies. And we don't really even understand that it, it is connected to our hormones and how they work. So I think I should just preface this by saying that your liver really is working so hard for you every single day and thank God for that because it is it does a remarkable job. It even has its own blood transportation system because of some of the things that come through the liver, it has to keep it separate. And which is to me is so amazing. And so when you think about the liver, think of two detoxification phases. So we have phase one and phase two, and there's actually a phase three, but that takes place in the gut. And so when you think about phase one, just think about the fact that your liver is, is basically converting you know, toxic chemicals or toxins into less harmful forms of those toxins. And so it, it needs... A whole lot of resources in order to do that, right? Just think of a recycling plant. Like, what is all? What all is required to break down all of that stuff? Same for your liver as well. So it's going to neutralize a lot of these chemicals that we're exposed to. It's going to start to break down hormones into less active uh, forms of the hormones. It's very important that this phase is working well. And so what then happens is. And we move from this first phase into phase two. And this is where the liver actually pairs specific amino acids and nutrients with the toxins that came from phase one. And that will allow them to go from fat soluble into water soluble toxins. And that's where, you know, that's the key, I feel like. Because once it does that, then it can be excreted from your body, whether it's through your urine or your bile or in your poop, it goes one way or another, it's getting out hopefully. And if it doesn't get converted in phase two, or if there's a backlog or a breakdown in phase two, these compounds cannot be converted and they're possibly still in a very dangerous form and they can go back into the body and they can actually be stored in our fat cells for very long periods of time. which is Probably part of the reason why, when we do a detoxification, whether it's elimination diet or someone goes on a juice cleanse—even though I don't recommend uh, those—they, you know, you might, you might feel all of these effects, these not so desirable effects. It's because all of these things are finally being released from your body, and then from phase two, it goes into we go into phase three, which take takes place in the intestinal tract, and essentially, um, there's just a further processing of these. Compounds and then they are excreted from the body and when we're thinking about what how you support your liver or you know how you how your liver even works, it's so crucial to know that especially when it comes to something like estrogen or xenoestrogens, we need to be focused on uh, on a high veggie dense diet. Because if we're not, our liver definitely is not going to have the nutrients that it needs. And in particular, what I really like to see is bringing a lot of cruciferous vegetables into our diet. And that might be enough for some of us, for others might not be. But for many of us, if we just have a couple of servings a day of uh, cruciferous veggies, so whether that's broccoli or cauliflower or, or kale or collard greens or cabbage, and there are many more, um, that will help tremendously. Not only does it provide a lot of fiber, which is great for getting those bowels moving because once those compounds get into your bowels or into your digestive tract, they have to get out somehow. And if we're constipated, we run into problems. And then of course, it they provide the compounds like diendol methane and sulforaphane glucosinolate, which will help to break down excess estrogens in the liver or will help support the liver's breakdown of those estrogens so that they can be released from the body. Because what we what many of us run into is not only do we have a liver that's compromised and not working the way it should be, and then of course those hormones, in particular estrogen, cannot be broken down properly and be re-released back into the body, but that can also happen in the gut as well. So if we, if those compounds finally make it to the gut, they're all packaged up, they're ready to go and to be released and your your body is basically not working the way it's supposed to, or your gut microbiome is not as healthy as it needs to be, those, those estrogens can be reconjugated or reconverted back into working estrogens and then get escape right out of your gut lining and back into your bloodstream so this is a really it's like a three-pronged approach you've got to support phase one phase two and phase three of detoxification and one of the best places to start is with cruciferous vegetables because not only do they have those compounds that help break down estrogens but they also have a wide variety of vitamins and minerals that will support phase one and phase two of detoxification.
0: Broccoli sprouts are one of my favorite types of cruciferous vegetables. They're very powerful and you don't really need a lot. I I don't know if you've seen the image on Instagram that's like one handful of broccoli sprouts versus like a whole plate full of broccoli. And they have the same like kind of medicinal benefits i personally love them i've tried to grow my own but i'm not really good at growing any herbs or anything so they always go moldy unfortunately but oh no they, they cost do yeah they cost very little money so if you're green thumbed and you're into that then it's maybe worth buying your own making okay. your own sorry and the liver is very it, it requires a ton of nutrients and if you've ever googled a liver detoxification chart there's just lists and lists and lists of antioxidants and between c b vitamins but with the phase two it needs a lot of amino acids and i think people forget that and that's why they go on these juice cleanses and yes plants do have amino acids but we're talking like the high quality um, protein which i recommend getting from animal sources Um, i don't know what your views are on a vegan diet especially for someone dealing with hormone imbalances but i personally Hardly ever recommend it because I've seen so many women struggle and have come to me um, after years of doing a vegan diet, initially them feeling absolutely amazing, probably because they've just taken out all of the junk. But then over the years, they start to decline in health. But I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I have seen a remarkable number of women over the years who were on a vegan diet and had to transition off of that because their hormone levels were at menopausal levels. They were unable to make hormones. Um, their, you know, vaginal tissue was atrophying because they just didn't have enough collagen in their diet. They had awful joint pain. They just were in a really bad way, and they had to bring back animal-based foods into their diets so that they could start to rebuild their hormones and get a period back. I mean, so many women I've seen who've just not had a period for long period, long periods of time. And as a result, um, they were able to get back on track by incorporating more animal protein into their diet.
0: Agreed. See it all yeah. the time, but it could be hard for them, especially if they really associate with the vegan community it can be like a religion for some people they get really um offended when you start to talk about it but yeah i'm all for animal welfare and i don't support factory farming and that is a way to support ethical farmers and actually help with um, environmental concerns in a positive way with regenerative agriculture and just these days there's a lot of information about how factory farms are like destroying the planet and especially Mm -hmm. these past few weeks with the coronavirus and everything i've been reading more on the environmental effects that have changed and with the flights being cancelled and um, some of these companies not working as often the um, reduction in pollution and um, climate change has been huge but still factory farms are running as normal there's still a lot of these um I'm not promoting the factories, but the animal agriculture is just exactly the same. So if animals and things were contributing so massively, why hasn't that been shown these past few weeks?
1: But <laughs> That's a good point. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I know it is. It And it's remains to be seen how this will all play out. But yeah, I'm with you all the way. I really have, I did, I was a vegetarian in my 20s. It was it was great for a moment. And then my period dropped from five days down to two days. And I started to feel really weak and I couldn't really function. My brain just wasn't working anymore. And I felt at the time I was learning about nutrition. So I felt like I was doing a pretty decent job of getting all of the nutrients in that I could have gotten. But as a result, I, you know, it took a long time to get my period back on track and start to feel better after deciding that I could not be a vegetarian anymore. And so I just think that it really is so contingent on our genetics. Again, I keep coming back to that because some of us we really need, we need complete proteins in our diet. And there are others who are on a vegan diet and they tell me that they're doing amazingly well and they feel great and I feel like more power to you. If that's working for you, that's great. But I always encourage everyone to, to really look at what's working and like you said, it is like a religion. And I understand completely, I understand this belief system. I have strong beliefs about certain things as well. And it would be extremely difficult for me to change those beliefs when I'm, if I were to be confronted with that. However, I think we have to take a look at our health and what it is, what, what cost we're willing to or what price we're willing to pay because for our beliefs. And I think that it's a high cost for some of us. And I really believed that being a vegetarian was the best thing for many, many months during that time. And then as things progressively got worse, it, I had to make a decision. I had to choose my own health and my life over that of my beliefs around you know what I should be eating or shouldn't be eating and that's you know that was a choice I made and I'm I'm glad I did it because I would not be I wouldn't be a functioning human being today if I wasn't eating the way I eat right now
0: mm-hmm. and what are your thoughts on alcohol and caffeine when it comes to hormonal health we hear like both oh sides gosh. don't we like one day red wine and coffee are the miracle cures to everything and then the next day they cause cancer, they cause all of these inflammatory conditions. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about specifically hormones and like PMS, period problems, caffeine and alcohol. Are they a yes or a no in your, your opinion?
1: Well, I will say I am no purist by any means. And I actually don't really drink a lot of caffeine. I do not metabolize it well at all. And as a result, I am definitely bouncing off the walls if I drink more than like one cup of green tea. So I'm a real lightweight in that department. And I think that. Uh, when it comes to alcohol, uh, same thing. I don't drink a lot of alcohol. My I tend towards eating things like chocolate cake. I would prefer the chocolate cake over the alcohol. Some people feel differently. <laughs> so I think that it's a little bit different for me, but I will say that we have to figure out a way to incorporate these substances, I should say, these foods, these drinks into our lives in a medicinal way. Because they. if you feel like you have a Sticky relationship with something like alcohol, for instance, meaning that you are using alcohol to just get you through the the end of the day and the evening every single day of your life. It's really a good idea to start looking at what's not working in your life. And I say this with so much love and so much support. I really do. I, you know, I, I grew up in a in a dysfunctional alcoholic environment and. I have seen I feel like I've seen it all at this point. So I, you know, I do really think that it's important for us to to figure out like why we need these things in the first place. Because you can use them in a medicinal way, meaning that for caffeine, for instance, you can you can have a cup of coffee. Uh, while you're sitting down in the morning and you're doing your meditation, or you're you know just it's your early morning hours, and that's your time when you're using it as part of a ritual. But if you're consuming three, four cups of coffee before twelve p.m. and it's your and you're basically using it because or having it because you can't get out of bed, you're completely exhausted, you can't focus without it, you just need it to just get through every single morning of your life and you need copious amounts of it, you gotta start looking at that. And you and you might not want to, and that's okay. If it's, if it's working for you, that's great. But I usually think that when we are exhausted, we can't sleep, we have anxiety, um, we feel perpetually overwhelmed, Uh, we feel a lot of fear, then usually you can trace that back to over consumption of caffeine. And then with alcohol, similarly, we can have a glass of wine with dinner every now and again, not a big deal. But when we feel that we need that and we just need it, it's a crutch for us and we need it to survive. We feel like we need it to survive. And I get right about now, we definitely do feel like that for many of us feel like that. I certainly do. I'm like, Oh, chocolate ice cream sounds really great right now. Um, I totally understand. I just think that maybe when times are not so trying and so challenging, we should take a look at that and look at it not from a place of judgment, but from a place of curiosity. Why do I need all of this? Like, what is it that happened today that's making me reach for this? What is it that I, you know, I'm trying to soothe, or what void am I trying to fill? And and exploring that like I said, from a place of curiosity rather than from a place of judgment or being hard on yourself.
0: I'm the same with caffeine. I don't do well with it, but I just cannot kick my morning matcha habit. But (laughs) I love it. That's like part of my stress relief in the morning and just that nice warm drink. I think that's what a lot of people just crave, that nice Mm -hmm. ritual, that moment of silence before the hectic day comes along. And for some people, they use it as um, coffee, In particular as like a laxative so that's the only way they can go to the bathroom so they're like do not take my coffee else I'll be angry and miserable and bloated for the rest of the day (laughs) exactly
1: which I totally get as well and I will say that this is you've you got to take an incremental approach right you're certainly not i do not advocate for taking all the things out at once and it, and making your life miserable i certainly don't think that that makes sense but i think that it's good for us to understand that you know caffeine and alcohol consumption they are associated with elevated estrogen lower progesterone i mean possibly low thyroid function they're also associated with shorter cycles and possibly heavier periods anything that would come with a higher estrogen low progesterone situation and when and of course i think as well sleeplessness issues if you're drinking too late into the evening it's going to totally mess your blood sugar up and your blood sugar is going to crash in the middle of your sleep. You're going to wake up. You're going to be tossing and turning. You won't be able to sleep. You might wake up with anxiety or racing thoughts. You might fall back asleep at 5am and then have to get up at 7am or whatever. And you feel like you want to die. (laughs) And I just ask everyone, if you are experiencing these symptoms, are they worth it? (laughs) When you will eventually draw the line and decide what it is that you want to put you want to put precedence on? Is it the is it the being able to have half a bottle of wine at night, or is it getting better sleep and being able to wake up and function the next day with energy?
0: And I feel like a lot of hormonal symptoms and period problems are due to this balance between um, estrogen and progesterone. Usually, estrogen dominance and low levels of progesterone, um, leading to things like PMS and um, period cramps and Heavy periods, irregular cycles. So, what are some of your favorite ways to support progesterone levels?
1: I would say that one of my favorite ways, well, there are a couple of things. So, I would say the first thing is what we have to start to look at, you know, the the little things, right, that are contributing to the problem. And because they will have a cumulative effect when it comes to supporting progesterone. And so, when we're looking at the foundational approach, Obviously, we want to look at food first. Um, I I think that getting in those dark leafy green vegetables, cruciferous or not, I am a big fan of you know just a little three by three method, three ti- three servings three times a day, or like three servings a day. And if you can do that, that would be an amazing. An improvement or feel like an amazing improvement for your overall menstrual cycle. So that's just foundational. So, like I said, dark leafy greens, getting a serving of that on your plate three times a day will be a game changer. And then also thinking about how we can support our adrenal glands because our adrenals actually play such a big role in how our bodies function. And so, when we're perpetually stressed, our adrenals are getting the message from our brain that they need to just be pumping out uh, our s- stress hormones, particularly cortisol. There are other stress hormones, but cortisol is around for the, the long-term, it sticks around. And as a result, our bodies just feel like they're in a constant state or f- of fight or flight when we have these higher levels of cortisol coursing through our veins. And when our when we have that, or when our bodies are in that state, it's, we're sending a message to our brain Kind of hijacks your brain a little bit, and it tells your brain, "Oh well, we don't, you know, you you maybe shouldn't ovulate this month." Or your brain is saying to your ovaries, "Maybe we shouldn't ovulate this month because." Uh, our bodies are are sensing danger. This is constant danger, and this could just be from being in a job that you hate. It could be internal, you know, strife at home. It could be uh, living, you know, in a in a city that's very overwhelming. It's polluted. There's a lot of noise. It just it could be that you're not sleeping enough. There are multiple reasons why you might your body might feel this this chronic feel like it's in this chronic state of stress. And so as a result, your brain is basically saying to your ovaries, okay, we need to shut things down. So what it's happening is your ovaries are basically responding and saying, okay, we're not going to ovulate this month. And so a lot of women experience this, right? They have these either irregular cycles or they skip a period one month or something, or they get a super, super heavy period out of the blue and they have no idea why. And it's likely because they had this anovulatory cycle. And what we all need to remember is that if you don't ovulate, You don't make a huge chunk of the progesterone that you're supposed to make in that cycle. And so what you really want to be doing ultimately is supporting your body's ability to ovulate. And that means chilling the hell out. (laughs) And I know that right now, especially, that might feel very difficult, but some people may see an opportunity in this because they're not commuting to work. They're, you know, they're not under the same amount of stress that they were just three, four weeks ago. Things have slowed down significantly. I, I know that there is financial stress and a lot of uncertainty, but we have to come back to the things that we can control we can control what we're eating for the most part. In many cases, we can control, uh, what we're, what we're watching on TV or what we're experiencing or exposing ourselves to with the news. So we have to think about a way to calm our adrenals down, to calm down that stress response. And, you know, one of the more basic things to do is to make sure that you are eating well, you're not throwing your blood sugar out of balance every single meal or every other meal or once a day or whatever. And that requires, like I said, half your plate is veggies. So leafy greens and some other type of vegetable, half is carbohydrates and half is protein, not half, sorry, a quarter is carbohydrates and a quarter is protein. So we take care of the food side of things. We take care of blood sugar balance, and then we want to support our adrenal glands. And we can do that in multiple ways, right? We can do all kinds of things. We can watch comedy. We can laugh. We can give our, the person in our life or whoever we have, whether it's a, a pet even, a long hug. That alone will calm your stress response in immeasurable ways. We can support our adrenal glands with vitamin C. I know that is very hard to come by these days, <laughs> but I'm a big fan of liposomal vitamin C. That is also, vitamin C has also been shown to raise progesterone as well. And so I'm also a huge fan of that. Like I said, there's so many different things that we can do. I also think that right now, since things have slowed down a bit, we we could even do something like seed cycling. I'm a big fan of seed cycling. I feel like it's one of those things that you can add on to the foundational approach of the food and the stress management. And I've seen that work wonders for women to uh, regulate hormone levels and then also uh, bring their cycles back into balance, meaning that their cycles regulate more, they are, you know their periods are less heavy, they experience less PMS, they have even less period pain in some cases, but they their periods just come more consistently and they're ovulating, meaning that they're ovulating more consistently. So all the things that one would do to take care of their health is really what you would do to support ovulation happening on a regular basis so that you can, raise your progesterone because you can't spot treat your hormones. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to just raise progesterone. You've got to figure out why your progesterone might be low in the first place. And like I said, it's usually linked back to what's happening with your food, your gut health, and uh, your liver health, and then your stress.
0: Love that you mentioned the lifestyle things first, because usually the question I I get is, What supplement can I take? What herb can I take to increase my progesterone? So I love that you place a huge emphasis on the stress, uh, the sleep, even people think like just mental, emotional stress, which is huge, obviously, but the blood sugar fluctuations, um, food sensitivities, having a gut infection, these are all stresses as well that we need to pay attention to. And before we finish up now um, and get onto a few questions for you, the last thing that I wanted to touch on, and I don't want to miss it, I know a few weeks ago on Instagram, you were reaching out and asking UK, um, your UK followers and practitioners about whether you should write about vaginal steaming in your new book. And I was like, yeah, go ahead. Like We need more information like this. But we spoke before and you said it didn't end up in the final edit, which is so frustrating. But can you tell us a bit about why you were trying to promote vaginal steaming and what does that do for
1: us oh girl you know it's <laughs> it's always something that's what i think <laughs> i yes i i have vaginal steaming in the us and canada version of the book it is no longer in the uk version of the book and that was under the advice of my editor there who said to me that vaginal steaming has been widely condemned in the uk and um it's not something that's considered popular i also had other women reach out to me saying to me from the uk who said that they agreed with that that they felt as though vaginal steaming should not be included in the book because it would invalidate a lot of what i'm saying and and, or in other words it would it would make me seem like a quack or something like that which i thought was fascinating and i i'm i'm just amazed because we've gotten to the point where I think that we feel as though there has to be scientific evidence backing up every single thing that we make recommendations about. And I just don't believe that. I think that there's anecdotal evidence and it is valuable and it's basically how we got to scientific studies in the first place with so many things. People did things and it seemed like it worked and then we, we studied it further. And so with vaginal steaming, I've been doing it for years. I should say that too. I'm long before Gwyneth Paltrow talked about it. I think my first time I wrote about it on the blog, maybe in 2013 or 2014. And it was something that I did on my own. And then I did with a practitioner and it was, I thought it was really amazing. And I wrote about my experience and women were fascinated by this. And I just feel as though it's one of those things where, you know, the, the major concern is that, women can burn themselves or we could burn ourselves. And I just keep thinking, okay, well you get facials, you put your face over a steaming bowl of hot water sometimes when you have sinus issues. Are we actually going, we won't burn our faces that way. We know when something is too hot. Are we actually going to burn our vulvas or burn the skin around our vulvas? Like it makes no sense to me. And again, I I think that it comes back also to the fact that Women need to be trusted to make a decision about their bodies that, you know, and they need to be, I think they need to be confident that they can do that. Because again, if we keep looking outside of ourselves for answers, we're going to be sorely disappointed. I certainly was, and I've had thousands of women come to me saying something along the same lines. So yes, with vaginal steaming, I feel as though, you know, I've seen it help and. Huge variety of, of issues, and I'd love to hear your thoughts too. Because, I you know I've seen it help with period pain, with uh, vaginal infections that, of course, are being treated in other ways, but it just helps with the symptoms that women experience with relation to va- vaginal infections, uh, especially postpartum time and the healing of all of that tissue. There've been multiple things that I've seen happen. And I, I'm just amazed by that. I love it. I love to see that. I love to see women just taking charge and, and deciding that they're going to try something out and, and see how it works for them.
0: I've never tried it personally. I've heard great things. And a few uh, weeks ago, I think I'm just looking at episode number 59, I interviewed um, Dr. Cassandra Wilder, who's a naturopathic doctor, and she's like a period um, queen as well. And she was talking a story, so like, what herbs to use? So definitely, I'll link to that one in the show notes. But maybe in 50, 60 years, we'll be talking about it in in England, <laughs> and they'll all be they'll all be angry that they didn't listen to you um, <laughs> in 2020. I hope that right. happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so funny. Thank you for saying that. I hope You're so. You're welcome.
0: And I don't know if I I'm just used to all of this talk, so I'm probably I'm not reading the media really much um the newspapers the magazines so I, don't, I have no idea how they were responding to some of these um things definitely the goop lab series on netflix gwyneth paltrow yes. there was a lot of press about that negatively in the uk so
1: um yeah maybe. that seems to be where a lot of this stemmed from exactly because it, it came out around the same time as right. my book yeah so it makes <laughs> sense I, I do get it like i understand that we want to make sure that people aren't trying things that are potentially dangerous. But I, I have never in all the years that I've been doing this and talking to women about it, I've never had anyone say they had any kind of adverse effect or event associated with it. Not to say that it hasn't happened. I have no doubt about that. But if you use a little bit of common sense, you can definitely do something like this safely.
0: Yeah, you're probably more likely to choke on a piece of kale than you are to have some real um, (laughs) harmful effects. It's been used for thousands of years in Eastern medicine, so um, yeah, exactly. I'm ha- going to have to give it a go. I'm the, the guinea pig. I've tried a ton of things, but never vaginal you know, steaming. So it's on my list.
1: <laughs> Yay! Well, I want to hear all about it, and I'll probably do have... a,
0: a blog post or something about it.
1: You should. You definitely should. And I was going to say too, for anyone who's in the UK who gets the book i on fixyourperiod.com you can find i have a whole guide on it i included that so everyone will get information on it regardless
0: great i'll link to that as well in the show notes but final few questions um first one is what's your go-to breakfast so to keep your hormones healthy um what do you tend to have in the morning
1: yeah. Uh, you know, a friend of mine years and years ago came up with something called a superhuman be- breakfast and I loved it so much and totally co-opted it. <laughs> and essentially it's just eggs and sweet potatoes and leafy greens, usually kale or collard greens or something like that, or broccoli and something like sauerkraut or some other fermented vegetable. And that's it. And Oh, an avocado. So that's like one of my favorites sometimes I add bacon because you know bacon's amazing obviously <laughs> yes yes bacon of course. with any,
0: any meal sounds good to me and yeah, yeah the recipes are absolutely amazing in the book as well highly recommend and you were kind oh, enough thanks. to send me an advanced copy um and I've been reading that um, for the past few weeks in social isolation <laughs> <laughs> I know right you were keeping me company whether you knew oh, it or I'm, not
1: I'm so glad to hear that <laughs> thrills me
0: good and then the second question is what's one herb nutrient or supplement that you couldn't personally live without
1: Oh man. I, you know, I don't, there's not really one, but I would say cod liver oil. Mm -hmm. I know that's so old school, but man, I love my cod liver oil. I use the brand called Rosita Real Foods and I've been using it. Yeah. Right. I've been using it for years and it's one of those that just, I immediately feel an effect. I tend towards having quite dry eyes and dry skin and dry hair. And uh, I I, within two days of taking it, I'm just, I'm good as new. Amazing.
0: the liquid one is pretty the liquid. <laughs> so
1: gross so yeah. gross. <laughs> even for me I'm used to all of these
0: weird um, herbs and bitter things but it's not great if you um, have an aversion to fish like the capsules are absolutely fine but even for me I'm like gagging a little bit I have to chase it down with some food
1: I chase it with lemon water really oh it's yeah, hardcore yeah. but it does it's great
0: exactly very high yeah. strength and very pure good quality ingredients mm-hmm. Um, third question, what's something that you're into lately? So it can be health related, it can be completely random.
1: Well, since I'm stuck in Las Vegas and people wouldn't really even know this if they didn't know this place because it's so associated with this trip, we've been super into hiking because again, Mm -hmm. it's not a whole lot to do. So yeah, and it's gorgeous out here. And that's what that's what we've been up to, really. It's just like getting outdoors and hiking amongst the 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 mountains, the red rocks. It's gorgeous
0: and the weather here like usually you probably know in England it's like always cold and raining and now that we're stuck in social isolation the sun has been glorious and for the past few Come days on. yeah Are and everyone's like me? everyone's absolutely um so annoyed because we never get sun and trust it to be on the the weeks that we can't leave the house
1: <laughs> of course why am I not surprised by this it's just no right it's so typical
0: and then last question is Where can people find you online? How can they get the book? Because I'm sure that they're dying to grab it after listening to to you talking today.
1: Oh, I hope so. Uh, You can find me on my own website. It's NicoleJardim.com. That's where I have my blog. I have all my programs. All the good things are over there. And then FixYourPeriod.com. I made it very easy for everyone to just go there. You can pre-order the book through that website and then come back to the site and then just enter your receipt number. And your email address and I will send you a whole bunch of great bonuses those are all available until April 28th I might it might extend it considering the circumstances we're all in right now and right now until the 28th when the book comes out I've got uh, my 14-day fix your period cleanse as a bonus the first chapter of the book either the print or the audio version I have a bunch of amazing handouts that go with it and uh, so much more so much more good stuff coming
0: who doesn't love i know i do exactly we
1: all do (laughs) i know right especially pretty ones
0: and i would highly recommend as i said and this book should be mandatory reading for women all across the world and it's up there with the classics like taking charge of your fertility and beyond the pale with dr jolene brighton i've got my collection of books and yours (laughs) will sit nicely alongside of it and yeah everyone should go and pick it up because this has been a great conversation and I'm sure people are already following you on social media as well but to remind us of your Instagram
1: yes of course it's Nicole M like Madeline my middle name Jardim and that's I'm on Instagram there and yes I'm constantly on there posting all kinds of things so yes I would love for people to follow me over there too
0: great well thank you so much Nicole this has been amazing and I'm glad that we got to connect
1: Thank you so much, Vivian. I really appreciate you having me on. This was so great. Thank
0: you for listening to another episode of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. If you like this episode, please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. As a massive thank you gift, I'll send you a free guide, Six Steps to Hormonal Harmony, all you need to do is screenshot your rating and review then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next step to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.